All right. Welcome. This is the Nick Fertucci Show. I am Nick Fertucci, and I am here with Alec Torelli. What's going on? 11th place in yeah. the main event. Is it pretty, like, is that surreal or what, bro? It's very surreal, especially because, as I imagine most players of my generation that came up, I'm 36. It's been 20 years since Moneymaker won the main, and that was the impetus for why I got into poker. Yeah. And so the dream was not anything other than a deep run in the main event like that was what boot that was what created the poker boom and that became the dream of my generation and totally. so to come up with that dream of that elusive bracelet and i remember you know and I, I talked about this recently just like if you could have the bracelet or the money what would you choose and like you know the the pure the purest in me the purest of the poker player always said you know the bracelet was more meaningful because that was that was the dream i grew up with i never grew up with the dream of I want to make a certain amount of money because I want to win first place. It was because I wanted to be the best player. I want to win first place. And that was the the purest in me. So coming up with that dream and then being able to get very close is obviously very challenging in a different way. And we could talk about that. It's yeah, very bittersweet. Yeah, get to that. But in a lot of ways, the dream was realized mm. in the sense that, you know, I I made a deep run in the main. I got to play on the the, the big stage, the feature table. I got to experience what it was like to be there watching the yeah. players i grew up watching and then to be there was just it was incredibly surreal i just so, really truly was enjoying every moment. so let me ask you this well first let me say this if if anyone wants to know more about alec we did an episode do you remember that was i i don't uh some months back you could google alec yeah. trelli nick vertucci yeah, just you'll go find to the it nick vertucci, vertucci show i was in march or april of yeah. 2023 yeah so not, not too long ago yeah so if you want to know the whole backstory about how alec uh, Alec got into poker. I mean, so interesting. We talked for a long time about the the back stuff, but uh, so we're not going to do that today. So I have a question <clears throat> off of what you said. Let's see how purist you are. Yeah. Okay. okay. Second place. Yeah. Seven million. Yeah. First Six place. Six. No, 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 no. Forget that. Oh, I'm okay. Making, okay. You're all right. I'm making Fine. shit up. Se uh, second place, six million. Wow, I was even close. I didn't even realize that. Second place, six million, seven million, whatever. Uh, first place, bracelet, title forever, yeah. 900,000. <laughs> um this might be a loaded answer but i also think that no 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 no, no. don't bullshit no no either. but i wanted to clarify right. the the answer why i think first place would be pr pretty pretty easy choice just because i think winning is also has a lot of lo lifetime utility that would net you more than the five million oh, delta so that you're sponsorships saying and right like just revenue right so it's like it's almost what's the premium on that lifetime right right so that that's almost like it's almost cheating the answer that you're asking. Okay, no premium. Yeah, you get the nine hundred. Nobody wants to talk to you because you're ugly. Yeah, nobody okay. wants to talk. All to right, you. so yeah, no one want no one wants to rep you because you won. You won. With, you won, and you just you they, sucked out and they hit just claws. Don't like you. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so they don't like you. Your nine hundred is your cap. <sighs> I think at the I think it's tempting now to say. Uh, the utility of this of the seven million is so great, and that's like the, it's the it's the responsible answer to take that. And well, it's like the, the we know what the response it's it's almost like arrogant to take the other option. But I also think if you look at regret minimization and I look at the end of my life, the 80 year old Alec looking back at the 36 year old Alec. Yeah. What would he be more proud of? What would he be more? What would be more meaningful? What would he look back on with more joy? What would make him smile at 80 years old? I think I think I think the W. So I hope I'd have the courage to take the W. 
but I could see how that would be a very challenging That's choice. Fair. I don't know what you I would, would do unless I was in the situation. You would need courage. And I wouldn't I, know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. And I believe life is one of those things where it's easy to say, oh, I would act this way in that situation. But until you're in the situation where the choice is yours mm -hmm. and, the, and the shot clock's called on you, you don't know how you would behave, right? And that's like the way that poker yeah. hands work, right? So it's like, I, I know what I would want to say, but... No, I mean, that, you're, you're being I fair. tried to give an honest answer. I think you're being fair. That, yeah. is, that is pretty honest. Um, okay, we're going to get to like your journey through this. We're going to talk about all that. The wild. It's, yeah. Uh, but real quick, before we're kind of jumping forward first, and I don't know why I feel like doing that, but I do. Um, at one point when you were down, let's say within 15... Were you like, holy shit, I could, I could win this damn thing. Like, when did it hit you? Like, where you were like, oh my god, <sighs> or did it? I, I mean, so we're jumping forward, but this will take us backwards too. I really tried to go into the main event believing that I could win. That was my goal to go into the main. So I kind of psyched myself up so much for the main that like I was going to make a deep run. Yeah. Not in an arrogant way, but mm. in a way that it would allow me to align myself, my behavior and my actions with my desired outcome. So it's like you're navigating a boat across the sea. You know, you're going this direction. So I put my mind on the focus of yeah. I could win the main event. You saw it. You were visualizing I was it. visualizing it, you know, three, four months That's before. Not and I'll, I'll tell you the story of how we got there when, when we get into it. But basically starting after I busted this tournament in Monaco. I set my sights on the main and like every day I would just imagine myself at the final table, how I would act, how I'd behave, the stresses I would experience, how I was going to overcome it, how I was going to remain calm and play. So I was kind of in this peak state of like imagining myself winning the main for three months before it. So it didn't, it, it would, it, it more felt surreal that I was experiencing what I was imagining I was going to experience for a very long time. Right. The moment that like I, you were there before, it was like, I was there. It was yeah. like, Oh, of course this is happening because I already prepared for this to happen in, in a weird sort of, again, non-arrogant way, but just in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of like surreal way. But it really did. I also really tried to stay present of like, um, not focusing on, you know, what I was going to say if I win or the outcome or the money or the bracelet or how my life was going to change if I win. And just trying to remain present of like, what is the next thing I need to do to get me from where right. I am Stay through the focused. next hand? And that's really hard to do. And I remember um, a talk Dario San Martino is a good friend of mine sent me in like day four, day five of the main about this um, Indian guy that was talking to the public about how they were going to win the cricket championship. And it was talking about, you know, the, the basic thing you need to do is hit the ball. Yeah. And it's like, there's so many things to focus on that could distract you from how to win. But the only way to win is to hit the ball better than right. the other team. Right. And so that really stuck with me. And I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to really try and stay focused on just like how to play the next hand, who, what, what the strategy is, who's, what the stacks are, what my table is, yeah. what my seat draw is. So I didn't really allow myself to go there that much while I was playing. It was honestly in a weird way happening more when I was in Italy before the main event that I was feeling like I could win yeah. when I was in the heat of the moment. I was so <laughs> focused on how do I just, adapt my strategy that I didn't think about it that much. Yeah, I get it. And I think that helped me because if I let myself go to, I'm going to win the main, it's like, it's just distracting from what you need to do right now to get from hand A to hand B. <clears throat> there was something that, that I used to say when I was uh, actually teaching real estate, because part of being successful in anything is a lot of what you're saying. And, and I used to have a thing that I made up that I said, see it, believe it, map it, 
and then execute it. So yeah. you got to be able to see it. Like you said, you, you put yourself there, you're visualizing it, but then you do have to believe it. Like you have to go, okay, I'm going to do this. Right. Mapping it would be all the study. Yeah, absolutely. That you put in. Right. And executing is what you're saying, staying focused. And you've already saw it. You've already believed it. You already had the strat. You've already mapped it. Now you just have to execute piece by piece until you get to the end, end zone. It's like staying aligned with where you want the boat to go because ultimately there's a lot of setbacks during an eight day journey of the main. Your stack goes from 60 bigs to 20 bigs. And it's like, hey, that's a, you know, a boulder in the road. Yeah. Or, or an iceberg on, on the way for your boat to get to where it wants to go. And it's like, instead of focusing on how catastrophic it is, there's an iceberg in front of you. You need to start paddling very hard to go around it. And so I tried to like realign myself with the destination of where I was going. Mm -hmm. And it really calmed me down because I was had many moments where, you know, on the bubble, I played a very exploitative strategy on the bubble on day three. And I tried to chip on the up. bubble for the money. Yeah. Yeah. Because I felt like I had a big edge and I could exploit the fact that people wanted to cash and I was willing to take risks right. and it completely backfired. I just got, Oh really? Yeah. I just got wrecked on the bubble. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I made, I made like a couple three bets. I got four bet and just people are like, Hey man, I want to win it too. And it's just some, there's some luck, right? Like yeah. I could have just ran into top of range. I could have ran into strong hands. Yeah. I could have got bad turn cards and I see bet and it didn't work. I just lost like half my stack on the bubble, which is the opposite of what I would expect to happen on average. Most of the time. <clears throat> There was a lot of other setbacks in the main too, bad beats and all, all these things happen, of course. But um, it was mainly just about staying with the destination of where I was trying to go and saying, okay, if I know I'm going to get to the final table, I know I'm going to get to day eight of the main, how would I behave right now? And so that kind of changed my energy and I changed my focus and said, okay, well, I know this is just part of the journey. The journey is not going to be straight and linear. So how, how can I change my strategy and behavior yeah. right now, knowing where I'm going? And that really calmed me down and helped me stay focused. Oh, that's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good to hear and for people to hear. So you the year before you played a main in Monaco, is that mm -hmm. what you said? You played what? The last main I played was 2019. And what was, I, the, what was the Monaco? What I was, went to. So I left after our interview. I you know was played a few more shows on The Hustler. I left in April to go hmm. back to Italy where my wife is and we stayed with her family yeah. there. And so on the way to Italy, we stopped in Monaco. Mm. And so I went to play the EPT finals, the God, European Poker Tour yeah. final main event in Monaco. That's what I meant, main event in Monaco. Yeah, yeah. But... I, I sorry, yeah. So I I um I got to day two, I had a big stack, and I took was a buy in 10k? 5k with a rebuy, okay. one rebuy. Okay. So I was in for 10k. It was for 10k for got me, it, not not 10k it, for it, everyone. <laughs> but I was in for 10k. I get to day two, I played very well on the second day one and and through day two as well and i get to a spot where i have a big stack and i take a high variance line that's marginal and i bust with jacks wow and i also busted the main event of 2019 with jacks and what'd you what'd you bust this year with and i busted this main event with jacks yeah. so i bust <laughs> the last three tournaments i played i busted with jacks anyway don't play jacks it's like i was so mad at myself and i was like so upset that I allowed this situation to transpire. Even if you could argue that it was a reasonable way to play the hand, yeah. I just wouldn't accept that I had a big stack and busted, which I just couldn't accept it. I was so upset at myself. I spent hours on this hand. I talked to like multiple people. I talked to like six people about it. And I just went home after that, that event in Monaco in May, early May. And I was so fired up. I was like, I'm going to make a deep run in the main. Like I, this is never going to happen again to me. When you ran that hand through the machine, well, everything, what, what did you play it right? 
it, there's some frequency with which you could play it the way I played it. Yeah, it's but like a solver is so silly because thing, you so can use silly. a solver to justify anything because it has frequencies. This, 30%, right. This, it's like, well, this was part of the 10 percent. Yeah, so how do you really it's I've often thought that's kind of nonsense. It is nonsense. OK. And it's 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 honestly <clears throat> become a justification for a random high variance play because the solver will do something 7 percent of the time. Right. And you could be like, well, this was the 7 percent that yeah, I just punted it, it off. And that's all dumb. Anyway, I was not, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't forgive myself for this hand. I still think about it today. I was just so upset at myself that mm -hmm. I went home and all summer, I basically made it a mission to go deep in the main. And so for three months, uh, two months, I just thought about how would I behave if I was at the final table to main? Like, what would I be doing right now if I knew I was going to be at the final table to main? So that really changed my approach in the summer. Started playing online tournaments, started running all the sims, started studying all the short stack play, the reshoves, and, and like just basically played all through the summer online, ran all the sims, talked to friends and strategy. I was in the gym five, six days a week, meditating, visualizing, you know, um, just preparing for this moment of being deep in the main because I really believed that like this could happen. And one thing I had to do was just like change my relationship with tournaments and luck because I've mainly played high six cash in my career. Mainly because if you look at the math, the variance in tournaments make it such that it's very hard to create a sustainable long-term business plan because I, I talked to a friend of mine, a great player. He went 0 for 40 mm -hmm. in the WSOP this summer. He's like long-time tournament pro. And yeah. it's just like, imagine going 0 for 40. Yeah. Or he he like min-cashed twice, but it's basically 0 for 38 or whatever. So because of that, I mainly stuck to high-stakes cash and... You know, if you look at the variance in tournaments, you can have a thousand distributions and 700 of them are losing and maybe only one or two of them result in you making final table or winning. Mm -hmm. So how do I get myself to a point where I know I'm going to be at the final table, right? You talked about believing it. How do I get to the point where I believe it when there's luck involved and there's things beyond my control? And I had to kind of like rectify this all summer. I had to like juggle with this all summer. And so I decided that I'm not going to believe that external circumstance impacts my outcome. Like I can't, it might be delusional, but I can't believe that if I'm going to believe that I could be at the final table because you can't believe that there's things beyond your control and that you're going to have a certain result. So I decided, okay, what would tournament poker look like if I didn't, I wasn't, I could not use the justification, right? Maybe there is luck, but I cannot use the justification that luck exists. Right. How would my relationship with tournament poker change? How would my strategy change? How would my mindset change? So I realized a couple things from like a really tangible perspective. I was like, okay, a lot of times in tournament poker, the justification people make is it's a cooler. So I was like, how would strategy look like if there were no coolers? Like, what what if I played my hands in a way that I didn't allow myself to be all in in a spot where um, most people were all in? So, for example, I remember I was day six of the main. I had ace king and hijack. I opened the button three bets, and I knew that I had the option to four bet, and if he jams, I have to call. But now I'm all in with ace king against jacks, and there is luck involved in that circumstance. So, what if I just flatted and maybe played the hand in a different way? Or what if I didn't allow myself to be all in in these certain spots? So I completely changed the way I thought about tournaments and my strategy. And I also realized that I need to accumulate a lot of chips in the main. What's, okay, that last that last piece. So yep. slow down. I want to really, because that's interesting to me. What's the layman's term takeaway from what you just said? You said a lot. And I get it. But I want, do you know how to, the last part, can you put that in a layman's terms? Like, what you said like basically you know we talked about gto and justifying plays and standard yeah. operations there's a lot of spots in poker where people just assume there's a default way to play a hand right that because the solver plays it this way you have to play it this way but in a tournament it doesn't really necessarily work like that because right 
the risk reward is very different. Like if you win chips, it doesn't help you as much as losing chips hurts you. So getting all in in these high variance spots where there's flips involved when you have like ace king to jacks is very, very bad. Like you don't want to be in that spot, especially if you're in the main, there's two hour levels, you have an edge and you want to go deeper. Yeah. So I avoided a lot of these spots based on the way that I played my hands. So like you avoided variants, you avoided right. spots that were flips. Exactly. I try to avoid those situations where, hey, if I bet this turn and the guy raises, I have to call. Right. And I don't want to bet call it off. Position. on. The, I don't want to be in that spot. So there was a lot of times where I just avoided the situation. And my strategy was this. Okay, if I get to the river, there is no more luck, right? Like I either have the best hand or I don't. And if right. I make the right decision, I cannot lose. Right. So I just thought to myself in all of these spots, if I get deeper down the game tree, if I get further through the hand, the more information I have, if I'm in position with the lead and a strong hand, and I have more information about my opponent, what they're doing, there's a very likely chance I'm going to make a very high EV decision. So instead of being 57-43, I might be 90-10 because I'm so certain that my hand is right or wrong or I should bluff or I shouldn't bluff or I should bet half pot or full pot or a quarter pot or I should bet small and induce a bluff. Like I'm so sure about the, what, what the right play is that there's gonna, I'm going to reduce a lot the, the, the impact of luck on my outcome. So I basically reshaped the way I thought about and played tournaments. And there were a lot of spots where I did things that were non-standard, that were incorrect from the book. Yeah. But like ultimately, if your goal is to get to the final table, right. it's not about maximizing EV. It's about lasting in the tournament. So like giving up EV to guarantee that you get further in the tournament becomes a really, really relevant trade-off strategy. The last thing I did was I was like, look, there is going to be circumstances where I am all in or someone else is all in for a part of my stack. And I have to take these spots, right? I'm not going to pretend there is no like variance or luck no, or outcome. Of course, you have to be in it. So how do I mitigate against that such that the impact of that does not affect me? Well, I have to have more chips. The only way to do that is to have enough chips such that if someone's all in for 30 big blinds and you have 150, that luck does not affect you. Because right. the delta between having 150 bigs and 120 bigs doesn't affect the value of your stack or right. your playability. So you can be in that situation I can be. it doesn't I take can, you out. Right. I, I, I allow myself to be in that situation. Allow, yeah. So I had to look for spots and I had to adjust my strategy and my image so that I can pull off moves and accumulate chips without showdown in spots where I would then accumulate chips and be able to use them. So I pulled off like a couple four bets in random spots or three bets or like check raises in certain spots that like I could win. I felt like I could win chips and accumulate to build up those reserves. And so I was always like thinking about that going into the event. So it was a wild journey. It was yeah. like, it was just an, it was a very like humbling approach an interesting challenge. And I learned a lot and I realized, you know, there's, there's a lot more that I don't know because I've never applied this strategy before or thought about poker in this way or challenged myself in this way. And so that was really humbling that it's like, wow, like there's a whole world out there that I haven't explored in, in myself and my personal journey, my development and poker. And so it's just like, there's always more that I don't know than what I do know. Yes. Yeah, there's always another level. And that was for humbling. Sure. For, for sure. sure. And it probably always will be, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the last thing you said that I made you kind of say differently, because that's what I heard you say, but I wanted you to, wanted you to say it how you said it the second time. And that is a lot of poker players, and I guess this would apply mostly to tournaments. And I have to tell you, I, I honestly believe this applies to cash in some cases. <clears throat> so here's what I'm saying. So like in the tournament, you're saying a lot of poker players will be in a spot and they'll go, I have no choice. I have no choice. I right. have no choice. This is what I'm supposed to do. I have no choice. Right. But you do have a choice. Right. 
And, and like you said, because of, of the reason you're doing it to survive and to get to the next level, you do have a choice. And, and this, you may reject this because you're a very good cash player, top of your field, the whole thing. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of times I hear the same thing too. Like, you know, people listening to commentators or you hear people talking, Oh, well, you know, yeah, you got a call. You're getting this right. Probably. Oh, you got, you know, you only have to win one out of blah, blah, blah. right. And you know, so I really don't have a choice and this is what I'm supposed to do here is I don't, I don't, I've never agreed with that. I've always kind of rejected it, but I kind of rejected in the closet because I don't want to be yeah. corrected. You know it's what a I little mean? taboo, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't true. believe it. Like, yeah. That. I know. And I, I, I agree with you. And I feel like the times in my life where I've gone through this mental gymnastics of I have to science, math, GTO at all. Yeah. And it's just I always regret over it. time. Right. You have the four percent edge. If you just know, hey, look, it's like an 80 percent regret ratio. I don't want to leave here stuck 70K. And I know that that says that. But like the spot is wrong. In, yeah, the spot's wrong. And my instincts tell me. No. Yeah. I'm going to lose the money. Why should I lose the money? Just because it's the right thing to do. And I have people argue that with me. Uh, and like I said, I'm very reluctant to say it because I don't know if I'm right. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to be wrong. It's but. just like, it's kind of more about whether you, you fundamentally believe poker is a science or yeah. it's an art. I like believe poker is a little bit more of an art. That's kind of the way I That's see where the world. I come from. And too. so I come from that place. And I, so I think to myself, like, I'm not going to accept that I have to go broke in this spot. So I had ace king twice on either day five or day six. And one of the spots, if I four bet and he jammed, I would have called and I would have lost because mm. he had a pair and he backdoored a flush. Uh, instead, I flatted and I lost I lost the pot, but I lost a lot smaller of a pot. So I wasn't out of the tournament or crippled. The next hand, I four bet. I, I had a ace king suited and the guy jammed on me and I just folded. Yeah. And like it was probably correct to call it off. Um he had aces so like i'm not saying that i'm saying versus his range versus the field versus like the math of not being exploitable gto what the solver would do is correct to call it off but at the same time i put in 1.2 million i had a five million dollar stack and i was just like i don't you know i refuse to bust here like this is not how i'm going out yeah. of the main i don't need to call it off here and like i I, I might be, I don't think I'm being exploited by his like jamming range, knowing that I'm folding ace king because people don't know that. And I'm typically not folding ace king for my tournament life. Like that's not a play I'm going to make. So even if I tell the audience that, it's just going to five bet me every time. It's not going to work that way. But it's right. like, even if he was exploiting me, even if he knew that it was exploiting, it's like one spot in an isolated situation in a vacuum on day six. I'm never going to play with this guy again in this spot, in this situation with this stack size and this stack depth. It's like, who cares? Like this is not the spot I need to take. Yeah. I folded that hand. I would have busted or I would have, probably been 12%, 9%, 10% to win. And, you know, I made day eight because of that. So it's like there was a lot of spots like that that happened where I just mentally prepared myself for this for these three months where, like, I'm not going to believe in luck. I refuse to, like, play a standard style. Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, get creative. And so obviously a lot of things went right for me to get deep. So I'm not trying to make this whole monologue to say like I, you know everything was of course. my Every, merit. Anyone that's been in 100% a lot of things went right. But... <gasps> it's basically my fundamental belief that, you know, what Seneca said, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So it was like, how can I reduce all of the luck and maximize the preparation? And that was, that's sort of my takeaway of from, it all has to come together. That's my takeaway from, you know, I hope that's, I hope people understand that's my takeaway from this whole thing. Yeah. It's just like, how can I prepare in a way that I've never prepared in my whole life such that I create the luck? You know, that was my goal yeah. going into the main. Yeah. I want to go it, very true. And, and it's, I, it, that just has to be so exciting, but, 
Um, and we're going to get to more of that, but I let's regress a little bit on this. And I, cause I think it's good if there's, <clears throat> I think if there's, look, there's a lot of poker players that are listening to this that are 10 times better poker player than me. You don't have to pay attention to this if you don't feel like it, but there are some players that are up and coming and they, they are being taught the GTO and the, this, and I have no choice and I got a 2% edge and blah, blah, all that bullshit. Right. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Perfect example. Last night I'm playing in the anti game and I have, Ludacris to my left and Lingland to his left. Got it. Both lunatics. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I know in different positions what the machine says that I should do 84% of the time is raise here, three bet, do this. But what I did was last night, instead of putting myself in a position to like, you know, and we're in a five hour, six hour sample size. So this isn't uh, a 600-hour a sample, you know what I mean? So right. I'm thinking to myself, how do I leave here with more chips than I came with? Yeah, And Correct. my strategy Correct. was, because that's what I like to do. I know it's a big, I know it's one long game. Like, it never ends, and you got to look at it the way, and you do. You can't be results-oriented and all that shit. But when I play, I want to leave with more chips than I come with because it's competition, and I like having more chips. So what I said to myself last night, and this doesn't always work out, is okay, these lunatics are to my left. I know I'm supposed to three bet here. I know I'm supposed to bring this in. And in the anti-game, when you're in early position, your your hand ranges go, uh, they lose value because, uh, whatever. So, so I take everything that I'm supposed to do and I literally do the opposite, knowing that I'm going to let him three bet. Now, if I want to put a four bet in, I will, even if I have a huge hand, like there's a couple of times in really early position or late position where people are calling, calling, calling. Yeah. And I know if I just call, and Someone then, else and comes then, no, in. And then, no, yeah, well, no, I got like six people. I know Lunatic in position <laughs> is going to make it 4000 to right. try to win all those like $300, you know, times whatever, right? And so that's what I did. I call. I don't raise with queens and whatever because I know he's going to try right. to do that. He puts his 4000 in, 5000 in. Now I make a 12000 So what I'm trying to say is I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. And, but in certain situations, like to your point... Like, you know, my goal was to leave with more chips and I left with, left with 18,000 more chips than than I started with. But that may not have happened if I did what the solver says to do. Yeah. And the solver <laughs> comes from a from a fundamental standpoint of, hey, if the other player is playing perfect and I need, you know, minimum defense frequencies that happen. Right. And we're going to play a billion hands <clears throat> yeah, together. Yeah. And if I don't call in this spot, they're going to win money from me long term. Right. So it's taking all of these assumptions then in a, in, a, in a sample size of most people's life or poker game or individual vacuum of one session, one tournament, one final table, one cash game right. session where they're on vacation in a different country that they're never going to go back to against the same players, none of those things actually apply. So taking the fundamental first principles from how a solver thinks about poker and applying them to your game in a, in a macro framework where the elements aren't the same. Right, the variables aren't the same. Yeah, your goals aren't the same goals as the solver. Your goal isn't to and be. And they're never going to be the same each time you sit down because it's a different mixture and formula and recipe every single time. Right. The solver. I guess you could think about a solver as its objective is to score the highest on a test. That's it. Right. Yeah. So like it's that it's kind of trying to think about poker in terms of like how am I the smartest player, but not yeah. how am I the most practical yeah. player. It's it's a I that's what I believe. It's a template so you know what the math is right you know what the best score is but now you 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 have to take the test according to this person that person this who stuck and so i just think it's a beginning very beginning template and true if if you just put too much into it and you play like that 
I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I, I think you have to know the theory. So I always tell yeah. clients and like, people think I'm like anti-solver. It's not, it's not. No, you have to I, know I, it. I, like, I study the solver. I know all the, like, I know in a spot, I'm supposed to open this hand here or I'm not supposed to open this hand here, but I'm going to deviate from that strategy because, and I believe you have to have both levels. You have to know what the rules are, but you have to know when and why to break the rules. That's right. If you're not breaking the rules in a live poker game, you either don't know what you're doing or you're in the wrong poker game. So if That's you're in a saying. game where you can't break the rules, you're in the wrong game because it yeah. means you're against eight GTO bots. Why are you playing there in the first place? So it's like, there's not a situation in which deviating from the solver is not the higher EV strategy in, in a poker game. Yeah. So it's like, you have to know the rules. You have to know why you should be betting and you have to fall back on the solver when you don't know what to do. So if you don't know what Great. to do and you are like, I have absolutely no external information here about how to make a different decision than that's better than the solver. Yeah, then you got to go with the then, math. Then you go with the math. Yeah. Fine. And mm -hmm. that's what you should do. So you have to know the math. Yeah, totally. But agree. like wait, to your point, if a guy is going absolutely ballistic, why would you call with the frequency of the solver calls? Why would you bluff with the frequency of the sure. solver bluffs? Yeah. You know? So I thought that was like a really interesting thing about the main two is just that like, how do I play <clears throat> the game on my terms? So there's this mindset of a cash game player that you have to take every single EV spot because you're technically you have an unlimited bankroll, right? You're always having a big enough or you should always have a big enough bankroll for the games you're playing such that if a situation is plus EV, you're going to commit to that situation because you can afford to rebuy and you could continually rebuy. And therefore, any EV that's profitable is, is worth taking. That's the mindset of a cash game. That's the EV base, basically breakdown of a cash game. But I was thinking to myself in the tournament, I only have one life, right? Like I can't rebuy in this event. So the goal is not to take all of the EV. It's to take the best of the EV. So that means I have to consciously know what the threshold is, is of EV that I'm going to give up. And there's not an exact formula. But if the, if the situation is all of my stack of 100 big blinds, and the EV is one big blind. Well, obviously, I'm not going to take that risk reward. In a cash game, I might take it. If someone puts me all in for 10K and I can make of course. $500, I'll take the risk yeah. because I can afford the 10K and I get $500 in EV. Sure, I'll take the risk. But in a tournament, I'm not going to do that because gaining chips doesn't help me as much as hurting chips. losing chips hurts me. And so, therefore, there's spots where I have to play a, a strategy where I'm going to let another player win a pot against me. And so, I always try to put myself in a spot where I'm playing the game that I want to play. So I'm in position, I have the lead, I have the range advantage, I'm controlling the tempo of the hand. If I'm out of position, they're aggressive, they're re-raising, they have the range advantage, they're betting, I'm I'm completely out of my comfort zone. Like I'm in a spot where I don't have a big edge. Yeah. I'm not playing this spot. I'm going to avoid that situation at all costs. I'm going to maximize the situations that I control where I want to play the game on my tempo. And that was just my MO in, in the whole, the whole that time. That is exactly, like I said, exactly spot on to yesterday. If you really watched what was going on, totally. like, what is he doing? But I know what I was doing because just like that, like, I can't play it this way. <clears throat> How about when you, when you're, when you're studying the, you know, I, I work with uh, MJ Gonzalez with hybrid and I, I use their machine and, yeah, and, and it's, it's great. Fucking awesome. It's, fu it's, it's amazing. You've, you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to MJ. I've seen hybrid yeah. and it's go to hybrid and sign up for their machine. So anyways, um, but it's just funny to me sometimes because, and I memorize it. I do, I do my best. Like I really, you got to know the math and you have to know what's right to do it. Like you say default, but it's just like, how about the ones where it's like 30, it tells you 33% of the time you call 28% of the time right. you fold and this many times you raise and you're, and 10% of the time you go all in or something. Yeah, so, and I look at it and I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But it's so it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. If you look at how, how you're actually supposed to play in certain spots, like with hybrid and stuff, yeah, there are certain spots where you're supposed to bet like four X the pot and it just does all these crazy yeah. random things to, to keep it balanced. And so 
Uh, poker doesn't actually play like that, of course. The nice thing about those guys and their training, and I should say a nice thing, the amazing thing about them is they understand that as well as what we're saying and better. And so we learn it. I learn it. But then there's like eight other layers, nine other steps of why that sometimes is just not even a learning so how to apply it, how to apply it and why to apply it and all this and different things. And so that's the beauty of that, like why I think we play poker, because it's yeah. like we said earlier, like I don't think you'll ever have a layer that you can't that you don't need to get to next. Right? Yeah, there's always another level because you could always become better as a person. And it's like how capable you are as an individual yeah. translates into how well you play I'll as a player. I don't think I'll ever be able to be a better person, but I'm really hoping to <laughs> I be mean, a better poker player. Maybe that's not the right yeah. word. No, that, I'm that, around. That, you know, no, I, you're right, but you're right. No, you, no, you, no, it's just a joke. You can, I believe you'll probably try to be a better person. I'm just messing around. But I, that implies like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is like character development, like being more disciplined. If you're a more disciplined person in life, you'll yeah. become a better player. So it's like if you level up your character, it translates into how well you can play the game. And because of that, there's always another level because you can never master. You can never have true self-mastery. Well, you can never be completely zen, completely, completely yeah. indifferent to results. Like there's always something you can do to get better. You know, and and I, obviously strategy wise, too, there's always another yeah. level. And and you said that like discipline. What, what I what I often like will tell people and I've had to learn myself is. Um, any kind of success in life, I don't care what it is, business, this, it's really all discipline because like, for example, um, a lot of people will like, like say they want to get their life better. They want to do, uh, they want to get in shape or they want to do this or they want to whatever. And people get hyped up and they watch motivational stuff and right. they come from a seminar and whatever, but motions wear off. And most people that like are in the gym and they just look amazing. They didn't want to go. Yeah, absolutely. That morning. Absolutely. They went out of discipline. And sometimes you don't want to get out of bed early or you don't want to do this, but you do it out of discipline and then the results come later. It's you're never going to always want to do the right thing. Yeah. And so I actually, you know, I really believe, you know, strong body, strong mind. And, and I think one of the things about poker is that it's a lot of it is mental, especially on an eight day, 10 day journey playing 100 hours in eight days when you're here, when you're not sleeping we should talk i mean just talk about that it was, it was bananas how demanding the schedule is on your on your body and mind and so a lot of my training was the mental side and the physical side and the practical side so i was 169 170 pounds i got down to like 157 during the main i probably lost five pounds during the main but we'll talk mm -hmm. about that but I, I got down to like 160 before the main 162 whatever i didn't exactly weigh myself but i lost like about 10 pounds before the main in the summer in the gym and so there was a lot of days where <clears throat> I was telling myself, okay, like the extent to which I can control my mind through physical activity is the extent to which I could be resilient when I face an adversity at the main event. So all of my training in the gym in the summer, it's very hot in Italy in the summer. They don't use air conditioning. So going to the gym is quite punitive. It's, it's, it's like about 90 degrees with 90% humidity, 95 degrees, 95% humidity, but there's no air in the gym. There's no air conditioning in the gym. So lifting is like incredibly difficult. And so yeah. I was like, this is great because... The more yeah. challenging of a physical exertion I could have, the stronger I could be mentally because I have to phys I have to mentally tell myself mm. I'm going to pick up this bar and deadlift 250 because that is the most challenging thing I could do. And I have to like have mind over matter. And that's what you have to do with the poker table, because mm. if there's ever a moment in which, you know, your your body's in control of your mind, you're out of control. Like if you if you re are reactive to what's happening to you, you're out of control. You're going to run straight into the iceberg instead yeah. of go around it. So I did a lot of that preparation and I, I found to your point the days that I most didn't want to go to the gym, I demanded that yeah. I go to the gym. Discipline. I took days off when I was like, I really feel like going to the gym because I knew that I wasn't slacking mentally. So there was a day in which I didn't you know, have a lot of time. I was very tired and it was raining outside. 
and I biked to the gym in the rain because I told my, I, I, this was an exercise that I was not going to let anything stop me from my goal. And so I knew that was going to take that with me to the main event. There's nothing that's going to stop me from getting deep in this tournament. I don't believe in luck. So I'm not going to let the rain stop me from going to the gym. Just like I'm not going to let losing a big pot stop me from getting deep in the main. So like everything I was doing, and this is, you know, maybe a little extreme, but like I had an extreme goal to beat 10,000 other people, you know? So like I had, I felt like I had to do some serious psyching up to get to this point where I was like, you know, I'm not going to let anything stop me from getting the way I wanted to go. So I was the most of my training in the mental side and the physical side was, was in the gym. And it was very fun because it was like, how hard can I push myself? Sure. You know, well, let's, it was a let, fun challenge. Let's do this too. And then I'll let you take it, take it back from here. I'll just, I'll set you up and, and then you could go from here for, for those who are watching that have never played the main event. And I've only played three times once a billion years ago, but really last year and this year. Yep. Um, and I will say this, as far as to the point of of um, being physically and obviously mentally strong, especially physically strong, because when you when you start to lose uh, bandwidth physically, uh, mentally you start to lose your thought process. Yeah. You get tired or you're fatigued, and you can't you can't think as well. And for those of you who haven't played, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, you know, yeah, you start at noon. And then you you go for how many hours, whatever you can micro it if you want. And then you get a break. And literally the break, the whole time you're spending on the break is trying to take a leak. Oh, my God. Because all the lines, there's only like the men's bathroom. It's all men. And so like 15 minute break, you really don't get a break. You're, just trying, to, you're just trying to pee. Right. And so and then if you don't have your own snacks with you and everything else, there's nowhere to go get it in enough time to get it. And there's nothing this. healthy to get. And no. Or you got to eat a hot dog. Right. And and so that's not, you know, whatever. So those are challenges. And then you get like the lunch. And then again, there's nowhere to eat and all the lines for everything. And you come back. Anyways, you do this all the way from 12 noon to 12 midnight. At least and you get an hour and some change for dinner. And again, you're just like whatever. And, and as you come back, you're like stuck in this hallway of like massive people trying to get back to their table. So the point is then you go to bed and you're probably, even though you're exhausted, you're probably on a little bit of something. So you don't fall asleep till one, two, whatever you get back up and you got to, if you want to get back up and you want to work out or you want to get something to eat, you got to wake up earlier. So you're only in a handful of hours or less of sleep. Then you got to do the whole process again and again, and you did it for eight days. And then of course the mental exhaustion is even getting more pressure. So there you go. Anything you want to add to it. But that's my so, takeaway is I hated it. So <clears throat> there's something to be we talk about a few things here. Thank you for the setup. Yeah. This sounds superficial, but you brought up the point, too. And I talked to a lot of people about this. The, the arguably the worst part about the Paris. I love I love the the, the horse. The, the, the Paris side is better for this particular reason. Yeah. I love I like it being there more than I like the real. But the narrowness of the hallway on the horseshoe creates a situation in which 3000 people are trying to get through a hallway and you're you, like, I'm sensitive to smoke. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are. Yeah. So outside of that hallway, there's vape, there's cigarette, there's weed. There's yeah. a cloud of smoke, which right. not, you're not you get supposed get to smoke, into but the... you're walking. It's like going through an airport security line through a narrow corridor for 10 minutes in a cloud of smoke when you only have 20. So I actually had to find a bathroom that people weren't going to. Mm. And it was like very back around down. Yeah, but by the time you do that and back, especially if you talk to someone on the break, we talked on the break a few times, you know, there's interviews, there's other things like that. You're, you're spending 15 minutes out of 20 and hoping to get done going to the peeing, right? Like that's the that's objective. It. It's your main goal. It's right. Just take a leak. So <clears throat> you might have three, four, five minutes of the main to really re recenter yourself. Right. Right. So I would do jump squats. There was like, again, I found a hidden bathroom and I went to the side over there and I would do jump squats and, 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 um, 
and stuff like that to get my keep my blood flowing. But I would also have to time the, the frequency to which I drank water such that I didn't have to go to the bathroom until. Right. Yeah. So you kind of go dehydrate a little bit because if you drink too much, you go to the bathroom and you're missing blinds. Right. And so that was that alone was a challenge. But like just to kind of explain the micromanaging of all of these things that have to have, have to go right for you to you know be at the highest level during the main was very challenging. And I thought it was fun because it was like this tweak of optimization, which which was, was, was a fun challenge. But I think the bigger point is just how grueling the eight days are. So I did something and I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I actually played day one C of the main mm -hmm. because I played day two A. And after day two A, mm -hmm. I got a day off before day three. Whereas if you play day one D, you play day two B. And then after day two B, you have day three right away. And I knew, because I was going to the final table in my head, that I was going to play eight days, nine, ten days of poker. And I knew that I wasn't going to have a break till after day eight. And I thought to myself, on day eight, everyone that played day one D is going to be paying for it because they're going to have one less day off that I had on day two and between day three. So starting with the engineering of which day I was going to play, it was yeah. all about how can I preserve myself and be at the best state of mind physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to be playing the best poker for eight days. But the grueling thing was, <clears throat> was what you said was the, you know, I was up at about 9 a.m. Um, so let's say you, you play noon to midnight, right? It usually goes later than midnight. It goes to 1230 yeah. because they have the ceremonies that delay. They have, they, they, they get delayed in the starting. Oh, yeah. You're not to your room. Yeah. They have to Keller up. They have, you have to your bag, bag your you chips. Bag. Oh yeah. They, they have yeah. announcements. <clears throat> you have to figure out where your table draws. So you're done at 1231. The day that we did the money bubble, we were done at like 132 because the yeah. money bubble went hand for hand. It took an hour and a half. Totally. So you're done at, let's say one o'clock, right? So it's a 13 hour day. Um, and then you're like, I mean, Day one, you're not necessarily jacked on adrenaline. You're day one out of 10 days of the main. You're like, whatever. But day six, day five, day six, day seven, there's, you know, 40, 50 people left. You're, you, you know, you realize, like you oh, said, shit, when yeah. did you realize you could win the main? Like, you're starting to think, you know, people are starting to message you. I had more messages during that time, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you, everyone that messaged me. I'm incredibly grateful. I, I had more messages during the main than I've ever had in my life. So an hour of my time in the morning was spent, you know, just like, consumed yeah, with thanks. this hello thanks. so you're you're jacked on adrenaline at 1 2 a.m it's very hard to just go from 10 to 0 which is the state you need to be in to go to sleep yeah so maybe you go to sleep at 2 2 30 some days i'm not sleeping amazing because my mind is spinning you start to see poker hands in your sleep as a lot of people imagine when you play a lot of poker you dream about poker so you maybe get up at nine i want to meditate i want to work out like we talked about also, as we got deeper in the tournament, you want to see your table draw to see who's to your left so you can adapt your strategy based on the chip stacks and the quality of the players to your left and right. So I might have spent a half hour looking up my table draw, you know, and so where would you, where would you, you look that up on the WCP website? Exactly. I didn't even know that. <clears throat> so you can see the table draw and it, yeah. yeah, day two, does it really matter? Not yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, 100 big blinds, D -day, but day six, day seven, it starts to matter. Yeah. So as you get deeper in the tournament, you're more fatigued. I and the, the real challenge for me came on day seven. Because I went to bed late. I was top five in chips with 49 left. I was completely jacked on adrenaline. Day six, I played one of the best days I've ever played. I was so focused and my diet was so on point. I was eating so well. I had so much energy. I was breaking up my dinner into two sections to not eat too much food. I was fasting during the day. I was bringing juice with me in a cooler to the event so I could have you know, hydration and nutrients without being lethargic, eating too much food. So I was doing all this stuff to optimize everything. And day seven, I barely slept. And <clears throat> it just caught up with me. I just... You know, I just didn't, I woke up and I knew I wasn't at my best. And that was, it was just extremely challenging and grueling in a way that, you know, even playing the long hours of 36 hours in Macau where we played 
from 10 a.m. to you know noon the next day or whatever, and we, I was up for 30 hours playing high six poker in Macau. That was hard, but after that session, you would have two days before the next session, so I could recover. Yeah. But the consecutive nature of eight days in a row was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I almost imagine. feel like we should have a day off after day six. Yeah. Because it's just yeah, like think so. that many days in a row is very tough. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I only made it to the, <clears throat> the end of day three uh, bef before the money, and I was exhausted. I really was. I was yeah. Exhausted. Now I didn't do all the shit you did. I wasn't doing jumping jacks and squats and you know yeah. looking my table. Honestly, like you, you deserve to get where you got. <laughs> Thank you. There's, there's a lot of prep. Me, there was no prep. I got on uh, JSX. I flew in. I bought my ticket. Nice. I showed up the next day. I had a breakfast burrito, and I didn't give two fucks who's at my table. So that's why you you be, you were eleventh, and I was ninety millionth. So that's good. <laughs> well, there's and some preparation. There's definitely some luck. <laughs> plus, I suck. There's definitely. I have some no luck. idea what I'm doing in a tournament. Um, so it was wild, man. That the, and I was thinking I was like, you know, I was in the gym, I was prepping, I was doing sprints in the gym so that I could uh, mimic the emotional ups and downs I would go through during a hand of poker because when you're sprinting at a high level, you know, your, your heartbeats, you're really fast, you're exerting a lot of mental energy and then you walk and you rest. So I was thinking to myself, okay, mm -hmm. if I sprint at level 10 <clears throat> for 30 minutes, you know, 30 minute intervals and, uh, you know, 30 minutes of intervals, then I would mimic what I'm doing when I play a hand of poker and then I rest when I'm not playing. So you're training your heart rate to go up and down. So I was thinking about all this stuff and I was thinking like, you know, I could have prepared more. I could have been in better shape. I could have. How could you have prepared more? I should have done You're something different. About the intervals. I mean, it, it's my that? fault that I was not at my best on day seven. And I've been thinking a lot about how I'm going to change next year. But I and I was thinking like the people that aren't doing this, like have to be very tired. So I was thinking like, yeah, we like the eight days in a row is is very grueling. And that's why I thought maybe a break after day six would have been right would have been the right move given like the level and the stakes of the play. It's less exciting from a viewership standpoint to have a break after day six and a break after day eight. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that was wild. And they added an extra day this year. So it was supposed to be in the yeah. past seven days. So this year became eight days. So that changed the dynamic too. Yeah. Was the final table six? Nine. Not, so, well, they, so they did start. They combined to 10. They did. And then they keep playing until nine. And then those nine go to the. Did you want to puke? That you were a couple away from the actual final table, maybe not. That you don't have to lean into that. No, that's a totally fair question. That's the that's. I mean, I know that's the right like, question. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though, even if you went out in eighth or ninth or whatever, still that sucks. But, but I don't know. Like, just to bust out before that light yeah. go on to the. So final there was. Table. I mean, and it's 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 easy and it's it's sort of cheap to only look back at the hands you lose and extrapolate that to determine how you could have won because a lot went right for me to even get to day eight. Oh, sure. So I'm grateful for all those hands that I won to get to that point. But given that I was on day eight, there were two all ins ahead of me where the short stack was all in behind and doubled. And oh. had they lost and busted, you make it right. But also I was all in Jack's to ace king and had I won, I would have, you know, probably wow. made it too. So there were three all ins in a row. And oh. if I, any of them went a different way, perhaps I would just a hair. Trigger. So it's easy to kind of look back at this, yeah. like, and just kind of let your mind go there. But there's a couple things. Number one is I try and take credit for the, the W because I take 100% responsibility for the L. So I believe it's my fault I didn't make the final table. So like I believe, you know, like I could have played differently on day seven. I could play differently on day eight. I could have had more chips to withstand the all-in with the jacks. All those things. So it's I, I believe it's 100% my fault. So I'm more looking back at the things that I did differently. I could have done differently yeah. to, to, to have created a different outcome. And so when I look at it from that perspective, I am 
there are things I could do to improve. But given that I had, I had never really made the intention of getting deep in a tournament until I busted with Jackson Monaco, going from that point to the outcome of 11th out of 10,000 mm. in two and a half months is something I have to be proud of. So I take relish in the in the in the W that I had, yeah. Because I take one hundred percent responsibility for the L, and so it's like you know, it's the it's the dance between I am my harshest critic. Like when people say, "Oh, you know, with the King Jack, the guy hit a seven, you were ninety three percent on the flop." No, I should have folded the river. Like I should have raised the flop. I should have raised pre flop. I shouldn't have been in that spot. Like one hundred percent responsibility for the L. It's, yeah. I'm my harshest critic by far. Yeah. But you also have to live in a situation where you can forgive yourself to move on and get better the next time. So it's that dance between being extremely hard on yourself such that you can improve and being forgiving of yourself such that you can live with yourself and be, you know, accepting of the fact that you're human and you're not perfect and you can't play perfect for eight days. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that dance. And sometimes I go too extreme on the Alec, you're a prick. You should have won. And sometimes I go too easy on myself. Oh, I got so unlucky. If those three all-ins went different, I would have been deeper. So I have to correct myself when I'm out of line. And so that balance is something I strive for that I'm not perfect with. And it's very challenging, but to answer your question in summary, like my only intention was to win the main, you know? And so like I would have been the accolade of being at the final table would have been cool. It would have been a great resume. It would have been whatever. But like I would feel the same way if I got okay. ninth in okay. the sense that honestly, it's almost a harder pill to swallow the closer you are. So I've got second in a WSOP event. I think way more about the second place than the 200th place. So, you know, the closer you get to the W, yeah, the yes, the more money you get, and yes, the bigger no, of an but accomplishment, fall, yeah. but it's the harder, it, it, it becomes more bitter on the bittersweet pendulum. Totally. So, you know what I mean? There's a totally. dance there. You get more of the upside, but you also get more of the pain. Totally. So, I don't know how I would have felt, but... Yeah. So, let me ask you just a dumb, dumb question, just because I I don't know the answer. Maybe some most people do. So, like, you that you go to the cashier and you say, I want it in money. I want it in chips. I get that one. Wire. Like, tell me like, what are all the options and how did you take it? I so, don't know why I want to know that. I like, know uh, that's a fair question because it is kind of, it is kind of cool. So I was I obviously like, would they give you 700 in bricks? Right. So for Instagram, obviously, you know, it, it would have been cool to take the 700. And would they it's, give it, it to you? It's not really my style to post no, but, the private jet. The like, question is, would they give it to you in cash? But they, I think they would. Okay. Um, But you know, I went, Obviously, I would never do that, put myself in a security risk or like it's also just not necessarily my style, whatever. But like I I just asked for a wire like I went to the cage. So you get a you get a slip. And it's funny because I was in uh, day two. Josh Ari was at my table and they used to announce when you bust out, they used to say winner. And imagine busting in the main. And yes, technically you are a winner. Yeah. But they used to say winner when you bust. Yeah. And you're like, you just busted in 43rd place. Yeah, you yeah. won 40,000, but like you're on life till, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, so now they say payout. So they say payout and they give you a little slip. You go to the thing. They give you a, a little slip. You have to go to the Paris side. You go into the main cage and you walk in line. You fill out a little form. They give you a receipt. You go to the cage. They say, you know, congratulations. I just you know, got 11th domain. I won $700,000. They say, how would you like it? You fill out a form, send them your bank details. And it, w- it was sort of surreal, like getting up and, you know, looking at my bank. I was like, I was oh, I say, did you go look? And I, go, I did because I did it on a Friday and it was like Friday late in the afternoon. So the banking thing, the banks was closed, whatever. And they're like, when will the wire be there? And they're like Monday. And then by then I had kind of like, you know, I was doing other stuff, whatever. It wasn't like first thing Monday morning. I was yeah, checking yeah, to yeah, make yeah. sure it was there at 9 a.m. But obviously, you know, I checked my bank statement right. and I look there and there's, you know, like a $700,000 wire and they you really, just see, they really send it. And then I was like, it's crazy. And hey that, guys, 
they really pay. that's when it kind of they pay you it out. kind of hits you that you know you're, you're you, also it was kind of cool that i busted on a friday and i had till monday so i had two three days of healing to kind of get over the, except the fact that i had lost yeah and then transition to the fact that like wow i i had actually won mm. so monday is when it first hit me that like oh wow i actually won and this you know this wasn't an l i mean it was an l in my mind yeah. but it was a w in the practical sense of the word and when you hit when you see the wire in your account seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars you're like oh okay this is a w it's actually it's actually real. And it was sort of cool that it came three days later so i had time to kind yeah, of just only yeah. appreciate the w while, yeah, while yeah. being over the l yeah you got you got both or i got uh, both um wait, i was just gonna ask you something hold on uh shit. oh my god i really wanted to ask you <laughs> oh no we'll think Fuck. of it all right um yeah so i i i'm gonna act you talk until i can think of this because i wanted to ask you this hold on uh <laughs> Oh my God! You talk, but so, I think your I think sentences you, are so long. I forgot. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Yeah. I think you could take chips because I remember one time I was at the WPT final table and yeah. I I went there was like high stakes cash game running, and I took Bellagio chips, and then I went into a high stakes cash game. It was just quarter like yeah. I I prefer the wire side of things because it's more like real. It's like okay, now the money is in. It's a it's out of poker. Yeah, yeah. And I could bring it back to poker, but it's not like just they give you chips and you go sit into a cash game. And like you don't have time to like digest the W and like recalibrate your mindset and settle down and then play from a perspective of of your feet are on the ground. Yeah. And so it's kind of like if you drink a bunch, you know, 10 days in a row, you don't feel the alcohol in the 11th, the 11th drink. But if you don't drink for 10 days, you start to feel the buzz. And so I think when you play poker from a perspective of you have an immediate huge L or W, you're your tolerance has changed for the amount of money you're playing with. Yeah. And so it's it's nice that it goes out of poker. And then if it comes back to poker, I could come back from a grounded perspective yeah. of I'm still even, right? You got to get back to that place mentally that you're still even. So you could play from a Yeah, yeah. Your feet on the yeah, ground. Yeah, of course. If you're too if you're winning too much, it's it's a problem. And if you're losing too much, it's a different problem. Yeah. So I always want to play from a perspective of I'm even. And I think that's, that's a good tip. That's a challenge after you win, and it's a good problem to have after you win. Yeah, it's a, a challenging tip. problem to have after you lose. But there is such a thing as winner's tilt. And so, um, you know, playing like on the hustler, for example, from the perspective of, hey, I'm up 700,000 and I'm playing with 20,000 is not good because you're going to play too loose. You're going to bluff too much. You're going to be too arrogant. You're going to play badly. So I have to come back from a from a humble perspective of, hey, I'm still it's funny. You use I'm still that even. Yeah, that was my number. Oh, OK. First year. Nice. Here's I remember what I was going to ask. Good. You. Did you have 100 percent of yourself? No, I saw so I sold uh, some of myself on State Kings. So I made, oh. I think. 35,000 for investors, something like that. Oh, okay. um, so I always want to give like, you know, I'm, I try and give some of my action. But it's just stay Kings, no friends, family, a, a few. Yeah. But yeah. I had a, almost, you know, I had a yeah, huge piece. Yeah. So, um, how'd you come up with the 10 K yourself? Yeah. Joke. Go ahead. <laughs> Sold Coke cans. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was cool. Like, uh, a friend of mine from a long time ago. Um, and I wanted to give back to people that have like helped me throughout my career, especially in, a, in an asymmetric event, like the main where it's like, you know, in a cash game, like the daily wins and losses, it's, it's the ups aren't, aren't that big. The downs aren't that big. It's not that meaningful to have a piece. It's just kind of more tedious than anything. But the main is like this one kind of like important, exciting event. So yeah. selling on State Kings was really cool because it was just like the asymmetry of some guy sending me $50 and I sent him back, you know, thousands, right? Like, yeah, so cool. I had a friend of mine from, um, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, did a lot of favors for me, just a really nice guy, great friend. And it was just like, you know what? I would like that other people are with me, you know, rowing in my direction yeah. that are like, they deserve to be on the train with me because they're part of the reason that I am where I am. So some part of that 
you know, reason I am where I am is, is my support, my fans, my audience, whatever. And so selling to them on State Kings felt right to me. It felt like, you know what, this is a cool thing to do where other people are participating in my upside. And then just giving 1% to a friend of mine that's not in poker at all, never has like equity sweats, doesn't mm-hmm. have ups and downs mm-hmm. in his life, doesn't gamble, yeah. just completely, you know, outside of the gambling world. And, you know, just like, hey, send me $100 on PayPal before this. And he like barely got it into me. I was like, look, if you, no pressure, I don't care. But if you send me $100, you have 1%. So it sends me $100. And, you know, I just sent it back $7,000. I was like, what the fuck? I know. Right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. not used to that. So, like, no, that was really cool. Like, it's more meaningful to me than having the piece that it is that, like, there's joy yeah. in other people's journey. Yeah, it's always, that's always fun. Um, so. But I'm not, yeah, I'm just settling in. Focused on the next step. I'm not. Does not do, much. Do any you know, sponsors or opportunities come with 11th place? Have, is anything, is there any plus EV there or like, you know what I mean? Like fair. How far does it go down? Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, So I, I would say that I, I, I have, I haven't been able to, I've been so busy with everything going on. I haven't been able to like see the long tail effect of what yeah, it means. It might be too soon anyway. And it's, I think it's just too soon to, yeah. to evaluate. My intuition though, is that, Yes, it 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 will lead to opportunities that Are come you in still my life. Training people. Yes. You think that'll? You think? Oh, that, that has that already will, been. Is, is it's been going? very mm-hmm. uh, demanding, and it, also I took multiple weeks off, you know, for the main and and, and the yeah. aftermath, and so there's been a backlog of right. not catching up catching with the business, up. and then also the impact of the main. Yeah, teach me how been, to play tournaments. Yeah, it's been very uh, impactful with the coaching side of things, and I'm I'm really grateful for it. But um, I've been very uh busy with requests for coaching i was more thinking of like long tail things outside of just directly having a coaching business that would would impact uh in other ways as well like you know perhaps business opportunities or interview types of things i mean we're doing an interview today because i got 11th of the main right so how many things like this are going to transpire over the years i got other interview requests that i'm going on in august and beyond um so it's like hard to say the long tail my intuition is is yes and um that's a really cool it's really cool. I'm like grateful for for the opportunity and um, to be able to share the journey. And hopefully, nice. you know, my thing was like, you know, what I realized in the main was um, just having a digital presence and having a brand and being at my best was inspiring to other people. I had mm-hmm. more people reaching out to me and ha- and sending me positive messages that were encouraging and inspiring. And I see that other people were inspired through my journey and that was really inspiring for me. And it was like, okay, look, if I could be at my best, there's like a, there's a butterfly effect of me being at my best. So yeah. there's like a, there's almost like a, I believe there's like a duty for myself to be at my best. If it could have this butterfly effect on this many people that have reached yeah. out to me that have been inspired by my journey. If I inspire someone 1% to be a little bit better and I do that a hundred times, that's, you know, hundred, hundred times one, whatever. So if I could do that at a bigger level, um, that's really helpful. So it's like that's a net positive in society. And poker is a you know zero sum game, but your impact on society is not zero sum. So it's like, hey, if I could be the best player I can be, and I can perform at a high level, and that inspires other people to do, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't transpire to them being better at poker, we all take inspiration from like athletes, right? I watch a lot of athletes, and I take, I watch a basketball player, and then I translate that to poker. So if someone could watch poker and mm. translate that to anything in their life, that's a huge net positive. So I'm really grateful for the preparation and and the the outcome because hopefully that my sharing my journey can inspire other people to be like hey i'm gonna you know if i prepare and work hard too i can have these results in what i want to do in life and that you know that net positive has downstream effects and so i'm grateful for the interview opportunities and stuff like that because that could be a net positive with the the brand am i your first 
Did you do an um, interview before me? So I did one I with to know about. <laughs> no, I this is the first like long form. I All mean, right. I did some at the WSOP. I got it. That's fair. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. yeah. That was another thing about the WSOP prep too, is that like you had to be there at noon, but yeah. day six, day seven, we I did an interview with CBS. Yeah. So you have to be there at 45 minutes early. I know. So yeah. it's I mean, like I don't know, but right. I've heard. So that was so that was the other interview. I cheated on you a little bit. I did an interview That's with, cool. with no. them during the uh, you main. You got to do that. But, CBS. but this got was it. the first one. So thank nice. you. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So okay. So here's the last thing I'll say to you is: Do you have anything else? I, that's all I have for you. Is anything else you want to leave anyone with? And then I'm going to close it. Mm. You know, I think that in my life, like the times that I've mm. pursued something for the sake of pursuing it. I've had the best outcome. And so the times that I've really been motivated by the process and the purpose and by being at my best and the creative aspect of the of the endeavor and the journey itself, if I look back at the main event, the 11th place out outcome is 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 bittersweet. Like I said, there's like almost more, there's almost a lot of challenge and uh, difficulty that comes with accepting that outcome given that I was so close. But the journey was the true magic for me. Like the journey of the struggle. Like I remember the day that I biked to the gym in the rain and it was, you know, then it became 40 degrees Celsius and I'm deadlifting, I'm sweating my balls off and it's like super hot. So like the pain of the journey was really the high. And so the times in my life that I've pursued things for the art and the purity and the joy of pursuing it, I've enjoyed it the most, yeah. but I've also had the best results. And I know that if I had gone into the main with this superficiality of I want the I want the prize. I want the money. I want I want the the glory. I want the the ego. I want the impact. You know, I wouldn't have had the outcome. It was because I went through the journey of the main, driven by the process and driven by being at my best and driven driven by the 16-year-old in me that wanted to achieve that dream. So it was like a pure intention that I had the outcome. And I think that's a really important takeaway that I learned is just like when I'm in, in alignment with my my true self, you know, when you're following your heart and you know you're going the right direction in life, even if on paper, if you run it through the solver of life, it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. If you tell someone, hey, it's May, I just busted the tournament in Monaco, I'm going to dedicate my my the next two and a half months of my life to making a deep run in the main, they would say, well, that doesn't make sense from an EV standpoint because your buy-in is 10,000. Your EV on that buy-in is 100x, you know, 100 100% ROI if you're one of the best players. And so the EV is that 10,000. Your hourly rate for all this time you're spending is so small. It's not worth it. You should be doing yeah, other things. Software, it's right. Go play at Hustler. It says go play Hustler. Yeah. But when you follow your heart and you're doing something for the purity of doing it, that's when the greatest things have happened in my life. And so this was a, a, a reinforcement of that belief in my life that a lot of times in my life, I'm, I'm out of alignment. I do something because I should. I do it because the solver of life says you should do it. And a lot of people have this sort of dichotomy between what they feel like they should do, the career they feel like they should go into, the career their parents and their family and society wants versus what they know they actually truly want deep down inside. Yeah. And so this was a reinforcement for me in life that when I follow the true intention of what I believe is right for my life and my heart and my joy and my passion, even if it doesn't make sense through the solver of life, that's when the best things happen to me. And so for me, this was really a reinforcement of that. And the process was really the high. And I look back on this yeah. experience, it was it was the struggle that was almost as, if not more enjoyable than the surrealness of being in the moment because I put the intention on it so much earlier that it allowed me to enjoy the moment and just be there and be like, fuck, dude, this is, is truly incredible. So it, it really was a dream come true, even yeah. though I didn't I didn't win. Yeah, it's funny. I when I ever I ever talk about the success principle, if I just ever bring it up, one of the things I always talk about is what you said. 
and that is society wants to put you in a box. They want you to take step one, two, and three in that order. And, you know, I caught a lot of shit when I uh, uh, decided not to go to college. And, you know, I'm K through 12 education. Wow, yeah, knew, same. Know, yeah, and I knew that that wasn't my, my route. I knew that everyone was telling me that. Everyone was trying to put the fear in me. I was going to waste my life in this. But I knew I needed to start a business. I knew I needed to be my own clock. And um, thank God that yeah, I listened good for to you. what everyone said. So, um, okay, so with that said, See it, believe it, map it, and execute. I love that. Just like Alec <laughs> Torelli did in the main 11th place finish, he is 700,000 pounds heavier than <laughs> before the event. He's gained that weight back and then some, but in a good way, it all went to his breasts and ass. And uh, that's good. Oh, no, you're a guy. Okay, that's bad. Uh, anyways, this is the Nick Fertucci show. Thanks, guys. Much love, everybody. Struggling to find an all-in-one platform for the latest poker news and thrilling poker stories? Only Poker has got you covered. The platform is packed with exciting poker news, discussions, and games that you won't be able to resist. Share your thoughts with friends on the hottest poker topics in our circle. Discover the best poker games anytime, anywhere. And secure your seat at the table. Find all your poker needs in one place. Download only poker and join the best poker community today.